Good to be alive, isn't it? Just over here, not over here. Are you folks okay? It's good to be alive. If you today are feeling you have been blessed, I want you to just say that out loud, I am blessed. And now I want you to say it like you really mean it, like you really feel it. I am blessed. Yes, we are blessed. I feel blessed. I just celebrated uh, in July 35 years of marriage to Marilyn. Um, I know all of that applause is for her, like, oh, that poor thing. Uh, we are blessed by our two sons, Matt, who just turned 25 last week, which is crazy. Yeah. Matt's 25, I'm 28. Figure it out. And, uh, and then our son, Josh. And uh, we feel blessed that we have raised our sons. Both boys um, have spent their entire lives as part of this Hope community. And uh, what a blessing that's been. But, you know, also a little mixed for, uh, for Josh. For church people, for those of you who are raised in churches and so forth, there is a subset of people called... PKs or preacher's kids, right? And we all knew that the preacher kids were the worst. I mean, those people are the most troubled, the most troublemakers. They're always, you know, doing damage and that kind of stuff. And uh, so there's, you know, the preacher's kids. So Josh was a preacher's kid. And so I was asking him recently, what was that like for you uh, growing up? And so it was kind of interesting to hear his perspective on that um, and how people, you know, that he went to school with perceived him because of his father's job. Um, but he said even more so the people in church. He said, as a, as a kid, you know, I'd be doing stuff that the other kids were doing, but there'd be some people periodically, not a lot, but a few who would stop him and say, Josh, you ought to know better. You're the preacher's son. And he hated that, right? We raised our kids saying that you don't have to worry about the expectations of a hundred or hundreds of other people. You don't have to live up to their expectations. You just have to worry about mom and me and our expectations. And our expectations, our priorities, our values, the things that are most important to us, those things grow out of our faith in Jesus. You know, Marilyn and I, a couple of decades ago, came across this phrase that really helped define it for us. That because, you know, we live under a certain spotlight as well, and people bring expectations of what they think a pastor ought to be and a pastor family ought to be. And um, I don't care. And the reason I don't care is because I live my life before an audience of one. I don't live my life before an audience of hundreds. I live my life before an audience of one. You know, we um, here in Philadelphia, we have, I don't know if you know this, but we have a new quarterback, a um, guy named Carson something or other. Heard of this guy? He's supposedly pretty good. He doesn't play a lot these days, but he's supposed to be pretty good. Carson is a guy who lives his life 
um, and his faith out loud. He is not ashamed to uh, let folks know about his faith. And he has a foundation, and his foundation is called Audience of One. I was so excited when I saw this. He's got a logo. I think the logo's up on the screen um, of what that uh, logo is for him. But that AO1 stands for Audience of One, that he lives his life before an audience of one. We're right in a series right now, a short series, called The Ins and Outs of Us. And what this series ultimately is about is what it means to live our lives as followers of Jesus, is as part of a community of other followers of Jesus. That's the ins. And the outs are how we take our faith out into the world and how we live our faith out in the world, the ins and outs of us. And so we're taking some, uh, some sections of the book of Acts to look at that. Um, last week, Pastor Steve, if you were here in Voorhees, Pastor Steve kicked this off for us. Um, if you missed it, it was a great message. You can go on our website at meethope.org and podcast or see a video cast of that message. And uh, Steve talked about the fact that Christian community, the church, really has two features that really unite us, that link us together. One is our common experience of faith in Jesus, and two is our mission, our mission. And our mission from Jesus is to make disciples. And so really, all it means to be a Christian is to be a disciple and then to make disciples, to be a disciple and to make a disciple. That's, that's what Christianity is all about. Well, here at Hope, we say that a disciple, the way we define it, um, to make it as simple as possible, to, uh, to give it a to give it a uh, framework, to be a disciple means anytime a man or woman is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. A disciple is a person who is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's what we do. That's who we are as followers of Christ. And then we're about the business of being a follower of Christ in a community of Christ followers, encouraging each other, challenging each other, um, uh, supporting each other, helping each other in that process. And then to live that faith in, in uh, ways of integrity out in the world. That's the Christian faith. So this morning, I'm going to be looking at chapter 3 and half of chapter 4 in the book of Acts. I'm not going to read it because that's a lot of material, but in this chapter, we see the church disciples out in the world. So the book of Acts happens. The book of Acts um, was written at a time after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And so it's the disciples trying to figure out now how to be disciples with, um, with Jesus uh, no longer physically present with them. And so in this particular scene, they are out in the world. So chapter 3 opens up. It's Peter and John. They're walking through the streets of Jerusalem. It's a city. 
Okay, Jerusalem is a city. So don't, as you picture this scene, don't picture them walking in some village or on some, you know, little town or, or on a dusty road. They're in a city. Okay, a large walled in city, Jerusalem. And it's like any other city, I imagine. There are lots and lots of people in a small kind of space. Everybody's got places to go and people to see and things to do. Everybody's got their own agenda. Really, the only difference between Jerusalem of 2,000 years ago and Philadelphia today is traffic, right? And actually, they had traffic then, too. It was just not cars. It was you know, mules and donkeys and chickens and stuff, you know, and I I don't know which would be worse, frankly. (laughs) Cars that smell or... Anyway, so that's the image, right? We're in a city. These two guys are walking through the city of Jerusalem, and they're on their way to a prayer meeting. So these guys are still Jews, right? Becoming a follower of Jesus. These... They were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. They're Jewish. They didn't uh, repudiate their, their Jewish faith, their Jewish heritage. They understood that Jesus coming, Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah for the Jews. So they're still good Jews. They're still doing all of the things that Jewish folks do um, as part of their faith. So they're, it's mid-afternoon. They're on their way to the temple to a prayer meeting. And they're walking along. And as they're walking through the city with all the people and all the hubbub of the city going on, they are passed by a one of the city gates, a gate that was called Beautiful. And there sitting at that gate is a handicapped guy, a guy who is crippled, unable to walk. And because he can't walk, he can't work. And because he can't work, he can't make money. And because he can't make money, he's forced to beg in order to get money to take care of himself. So he's sitting at this gate beautiful, begging for money. In chapter 3, verse 4, this is what it says. Words are on the screen. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. I want to freeze frame the picture right there. These two disciples out in the world, walking in a city with their agenda, on their way to a prayer meeting, see somebody in need. And they stop their forward progress. They put their agenda aside. And it says that they looked at him intently and then said, hey, look at us. Now, I talk to a lot of you who work in cities, whether it's Philadelphia or Camden or Trenton or New York. Um, You're working in city environments, and so many of you talk to me about... um, coming across homeless people as you are on your way to your building where you work. And the struggle of what do I do, right? I see these people and they're begging for money and, um, you know, I feel like I should help them, but how should I help them and how many can I help because there's so many of them and it's overwhelming. And the temptation in those moments is to just block them out. It's too much. There's too many. 
And because I can't help them all and because I don't really know what to do, I do what everybody else seems to do. I just keep my eyes forward and I don't listen. I don't think about them. I try to block it out. I try to ignore them, but it's really hard. Right? I've read interviews. I've seen interviews of homeless folks. I imagine many of you have as well. And one of the things that you hear these folks talk about is how they feel invisible. Hundreds and hundreds of people pass by them every day and never even turn to acknowledge them. And they feel invisible, and it's so destructive to their soul. But I get it. I get it. Like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stop at every one? Am I supposed to give money to every one? What am I supposed to do? The church gets slammed a lot in our culture today. The church gets slammed a lot. Some of it we deserve, and I'm going to talk about some of that in a couple of minutes. But here's what gets missed when the broader culture slams the church. You see, the churches that I know are not the churches that I see on TV that are being slammed. The churches that I know have people in them who are doing things like creating clinics in places where people can't afford any kind of health care, and a group of Christ followers create a kind of a clinic, if you will, uh, to provide some health care to folks who can't afford it. The kind of churches that I see and that I know about have food pantries to help people who are food-deprived to fill in the gaps or to feed whole families. The churches that I know have recovery programs for people dealing with addictions of, of all kinds, of various kinds. They're in inner cities and they're mentoring kids to help them with their schoolwork so that they can get a job sometime in the future. They're mentoring kids in, in how to present themselves for jobs and the list goes on and on and on and on. And the reason those things are able to happen is because people like you in places like this roll up your sleeves and give of your time and your talent and your treasure to help folks in need. That's the church that I know. It's people who have this growing relationship with Christ who see somebody in need and can't just turn away and don't say, you know, I can't help everybody, so I'm not going to help anybody. I heard one pastor put it this way, and I love this. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. If you see a need, if there's someone in front of you that you can help in some way, do that. You're not going to solve the problem of homelessness or poverty. You're not going to fix all of the social issues, but you can do one thing for one person in one moment. They stopped and looked at this guy intently and said, look at us. There was this moment of shared humanity. You're not invisible. You matter to God, and you matter to us. 
And you know what? They couldn't give him what he asked for. He wanted money. And they said, we don't have any money. We're pastors. We don't have any money. I know that was pathetic, wasn't it? Cry me a river. Um, But here's what we can do. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And they help bring healing into this guy's life. That's what the church does when it's out in the world. It doesn't turn a blind eye to the hurt of people. When we see a need, we see we ask, how can we help? How can we help? Uh, we're going to be having a meeting in a couple of weeks uh, talking about the opioid epidemic in not just in our country, but in our county. We're not going to solve that problem at Hope Church, I don't think. But we're also not going to pretend like it doesn't matter to us or that we don't have something that we can offer. Healthcare has something to offer. Mental health has something to offer. The political community has something to offer. The church has something to offer. And we want to figure out what that is. We don't turn a blind eye to people's hurt. We try to do for the one what we wish we could do for all. So as the story goes on, they, they help this guy up. He, he gets up, and for the first time in I don't know how long, his, his legs will hold him. He's able to walk, and it says he starts to dance. This is a cool scene, right? He starts to dance, and he's praising God. And I can just imagine, you know, so here's Peter and John, and they're just like, wow. And this guy is like, and they're dancing, and he's dancing. They're having a little, you know, thing right there. I'm glad it wasn't me, because if it was me trying to dance, people would be like, please stop. Stop that. Um, that's just embarrassing. Uh, so when that happens, a crowd gathers around. They're in a city, right? And you've got some guy who everybody has seen probably for years at the Gate Beautiful who has been begging for years because he can't walk, and now he's up and he's dancing and he's praising God. One of the things about that that I want to point out is he was praising God. We in the church do what we do, not so people will look at us and say, aren't they wonderful people? Aren't they great people? Isn't that a great place? We do it so that people will say, what a mighty God they serve. What a good God they serve. Yeah, that's good. You can make some noise, you know, like I know we're Methodists and... All right. <laughs> yes, that. What was I going to say now? Stick to the script, Jeff. You were on a roll there, and you just lost your roll. All right. So, uh, oh, so we're, they're giving praise to God. That was the point. Um, that's, what we're, that's what we want. We want people to say, tell us about this God that you serve. Tell us about this Jesus. Not tell us about you and aren't you wonderful and so forth. Tell us about this God that you serve. And so... This crowd gathers, and Peter sees this crowd, and so he begins to do just that. He begins to tell people about Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus taught and what Jesus was about. And people are interested and listening, and some are coming to faith in that moment. 
Peter later wrote these words, and I wonder if it isn't as a result of just this situation. So in his first letter, Peter wrote in the third chapter, verse 13 through 17. And you know, this is a letter that he wrote. So it wasn't first Peter chapter three, all that stuff. It was a letter he wrote. It was the first letter from Peter to uh, people of the church. So this is what he wrote to them and says to us today, I believe. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is doing right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Can I just stop there for a second? How do we tell people about our faith? In a gentle and respectful way. So much of what we see in the media about the church are people doing, uh, sharing their faith in anything but gentle and respectful ways. But what we're called to do, what we're instructed to do, is to be willing to share it in ways that are respectful and caring for the feelings of the people that we're talking about. Keep your conscience clear. Then people, then if people speak against you, They will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good than for what, uh, for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. So here he's saying that, you know, do the right thing in the right way, for the right reason. And be prepared not just to do acts of kindness, but to talk about your faith. And then he goes on and, he, and he's, he's, he's doing all this stuff about suffering, right? Like If you suffer for doing what's right, why would you suffer for what's doing right? Well, that's what happens next in the story. As chapter 4 opens up, it says that the um, priests and the temple guards see this commotion and come out and find Peter and John talking about Jesus, and they are not happy about it. They thought the Jesus problem was over. They had had him crucified. He was dead, and now people are still talking as if he's around And there is this rumor going around that he has been resurrected. The problem that these folks have is Jesus was entombed. There was a Roman seal put over the entrance so that it couldn't be broken, or if it was, people would know it was broken. And there were Roman guards placed in front of the tomb. And so when this rumor about resurrection happened, they couldn't produce a body. To say, of course he's dead. Here's the body. They couldn't do that. Why? I think because he was resurrected. So, 
They're not happy about it. Really what they're, so here's a guy who's been healed, right? Everybody knows who this guy was. He's been healed. He's given praise to God. Folks are hearing about Jesus. They're coming to faith. And the guys in charge, the Jewish leaders, are unhappy. Here's the out. Here's the second part of my message. The first part was inside out, how we inside go out. The outside in, when we allow the sensibilities that are outside of our faith to influence our decisions, we get into trouble every single time. Amen. So um, the Jewish leaders, do you know what the mission God gave to the Jewish people was? Be a light to the Gentiles. Shine a light pointing to me, Yahweh, to God. That was their mission. That's why he created them to be a light. By this time in their history, they are now less worried about their mission and about their character as the people of God and more interested in their institutions and their reputation. That outside sensibility that, that's outside of what it means to be a, a follower of God has been distorted. And it gets them in trouble. So they have Peter and John locked up in prison. They're suffering for doing good. And it happens so subtly. We move from caring about our mission and our character to moving to our institutions and our reputation in so many subtle ways. All of you know what's going on in terms of the Roman Catholic Church with regard to the abuse of children. And you may be wondering, how could that have happened and been allowed to happen over decades, affecting thousands of children? And it wasn't that it wasn't known. It was swept aside. How could that happen? And I think the answer isn't all that complicated. The people who were in charge forgot their mission and their character and focused on their institution and their reputation. And so we're just going to sweep this under the car. We're going to try and hide this because we don't want anybody saying anything bad about us. Character is who you are. Reputation is what people say about you. And it's so subtle. I'm not bashing the Catholic Church, you know. I know how this can happen. And the Catholic Church has done and is doing some really wonderful things in communities all around the world. But on this one, they got it wrong. And as a result, the institution and their reputation have been deeply damaged. The very thing that they were trying to protect has now had 
great damage. And not just to them. And the reason I feel like I can talk about this, need to talk about this, is because people in the world aren't just associating this behavior with the Catholic Church. It's the church. Churches aren't places where you can trust If they're not even going to care for the most vulnerable among them, how can you trust them? It's a fair question. We allowed an outside kind of perspective to come inside. And so as Christ followers, we need to be reminded again and again and again that our character who we are is informed by this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And our mission is to help others develop that relationship as well. And as we follow Christ, he calls us into the world to see the hurt, to see the broken, and to be a voice of healing to that world. It's a great mission. It's a great thing to give your life to. What could be more significant to give your life to than that? I want to close out um, with an email that that, uh, we got just last week. It came to a member of our staff. Um, here at Hope, you may not know this, maybe you do, um, we allow people to use our facilities, um, uh, some rent, you know, if they're, if they're uh, doing a business kind of thing. Um, but for folks that are doing kind of ministry-oriented things, um, we let them use space in our building. So there, is a, there was a group about a year or so ago that um, is... Um, a group that that a couple of adults put together. It's high school students from high schools around the area. And they would collect food, and they would get together in our meeting place, or sometimes in this building, and put packs of food together to be distributed to people who um, had food needs. Right? Um, so people who were struggling financially, and so this would be a support for them uh, uh, who were food-deprived. And so they met here, you know, I, I don't know if they met once a week or once a month or how often they met, but they were here on a regular basis um, over the last year or so. And uh, so they just let us know that they were, they were going to be moving on to a different location, but sent us this email. One of the things that I will always take with me is the feeling you get being in the Hope community. I love the fact that this person called it the Hope community and not Hope Church in the Hope community. The sense of welcome and sharing is so strong. It felt so good to be in that environment. It's what all churches should aspire to, to honor the Lord both in prayer and in works. It's a place that seemed, uh, yeah, is a place that seems so meaningful to both the young and the old. It was, uh, there was an eagerness in its leadership 
to empower programs like ours to make an impact in the lives of those in need. We could see it, not just in support of us, but in the outreaches we witnessed taking place while we were there. I wanted to thank you for allowing us to be part of your inspiring community. I felt proud that we were at hope. That ain't bad, right? This is folks who came into the building. We weren't, you know, they were doing their thing, but what they observed as they were here going on and the passion of this place, the commitment of this place, the number of people like you rolling up sleeves and giving of time and talent and treasure, not just for this place, but to touch the lives of others, it makes a difference. We live our lives before an audience of one, not to impress others with our goodness, but to worship the God who's changing our lives. And when we do that, people can't help but notice. And when we fail to do that, people can't help but notice. So let's stand together for closing prayer. God, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the blessings that each of us today are experiencing. Even in difficult times, Lord, there are blessings all around us. So we give you thanks for that. Lord, help us to be people who don't turn a blind eye to the suffering of others. That we don't allow our feelings of being overwhelmed and not knowing what to do to keep us from showing compassion and care and asking ourselves the question, is there some way that I can help one person right in front of me in need? Are there things that we can do for a group of people as a group of people for folks in need? And Lord, our prayer is that all of the praise and all of the honor and all of the glory would go to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people agreed and said, hey, have a great week.